Alright, thanks Tony. <clears throat> uh, well good morning everyone, it's uh, really a pleasure to be back with you guys today. Um, yeah, we really missed you guys. Um, how about we pray as we uh, open God's word this morning. Alright, Heavenly Father, Lord God, um, yeah Lord we look um, inside ourselves Lord as we've uh, said this morning Lord we, um, uh, we've lifted up all these uh, these burdens that are on our heart Lord and we uh, we see inside ourselves, Lord, um, uh, so much weakness, um, both uh, spiritual uh, sin, Lord, and uh, and also just physical exhaustion. Um, and Lord, we uh, look at the road ahead, and um, yeah, it's uh, a hard road that you've called us to, Lord. Um, so I pray that, uh, yeah, that we would stand on every promise of your word, Lord. Uh, I pray as we've sung today, Lord, <clears throat> uh, that you would... Um, yeah, that you would be our vision, Lord, um, and that you would bring us home to heaven. Uh, Lord, we, uh, so we pray, um, yes, that uh, this morning that you would um, give us faith in you, Lord, give us eyes to see you and give us uh, hope in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, well, <clears throat> um, you, some of you may be aware of this, but... Um, just over a month ago, the Australian cricket team uh, managed an unprecedented feat. Those of you who know me will know I uh, am quite a bit of a cricket fan. Um, but a month ago, the Australian cricket team batted for almost 140 overs in a single innings. And if you're a cricket fan like me, you'll know that's a pretty long time, uh, about 10 hours. Alusman <clears throat> Kawaja uh, alone spent over eight and a half hours batting in that innings. Um, and in total over that five-day test, he actually uh, spent pretty much everything except a couple of hours uh, on the field, whether batting or bowling. <clears throat> uh, most impressive was that they uh, they all did this in Dubai, uh, where daytime temperatures were almost constantly around 40 degrees Celsius. Um, and in the end, this only managed to draw for the Aussies. Uh, all this effort just for a draw, and uh, and some of you are probably thinking that's why I don't watch cricket. <laughs> um, but if cricket's not your thing, maybe I can interest you uh, talking about motorsport. Uh, the most well-known Australian V8 race is the Bathurst 1000, so named because they have to drive for a whole 1,000 kilometres. Uh, or maybe the Melbourne Cup a few weeks ago. Uh, Beck told me the other day it's the special race of the day because it's the longest. A whole two miles, which I'm sure is a, is a really long way if you're a horse going full pelt with a human on your back. Um, or if you like tennis, I could talk about Leighton Hewitt toiling for five sets under the hot summer sun. Um, and whatever you think, it's hard to deny that Australia loves a good, long, hard slog. Or oh, well, possibly we used to. Um, <clears throat> uh, all of those sports that I've just described have a, a shortened equivalent now, which is gaining in popularity. Fast four tennis, um, a T20 cricket, of which the, even the original name was too long. Um, and so it seems that the long, hard slog is decidedly out of fashion. Uh, none of these sports um, being shortened are bad things, and if I've got my priorities in the right spot, it probably is hard to justify watching five days of a cricket match. Uh, one evening is probably a lot easier. But but the issue that I want to discuss today goes a long way beyond sport. 
Careers um, and marriages are increasingly ceasing to be lifelong commitments as more and more people decide that they want to change their minds after a few years or even a few months. Um, But why am I talking about commitment and long, hard slogs? Uh, Well, I'm sure by now you know where I'm going with this. Uh, The Christian life is itself exactly a long, hard slog. Uh, For many of you here today, and uh, this includes me, it will be the longest and hardest slog, the longest commitment of our lives. If that's the case, uh, and yet we can't commit to so many other things, how can we persevere when the going gets tough, as I've just prayed? How do we cope with distractions from the Christian faith? How do we respond when we're tempted uh, to think that there are better options than Christianity? Uh, Well, I'm going to preach this morning from Hebrews chapter 12, so please open your Bibles there. And we'll look at the first two verses. Uh, As you turn there, I'll give you a bit of background on Hebrews in our passage this morning. The book of Hebrews was written to answer some of these questions and encourage a bunch of Jewish Christians to stick with Jesus. They were being tempted and persecuted by their old friends, family members, and uh, even their entire society um, to reject Christ in return to the Judaism out of which they'd been saved. A fair swathe of them, in fact, were even on the brink, right on the brink of giving in. <clears throat> uh, so no one knows quite who wrote uh, the book of Hebrews, but um, probably one of the apostles or a close friend of the apostles. Um, but someone wrote them a letter encouraging them to persevere, and it's been persevered in our Bibles. And they wrote them this to persevere because Jesus is greater than any other option. I love Hebrews. Um, It just flows so seamlessly and logically. Uh, And the main bulk of Hebrews um, teaches how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament law uh, and how he surpasses it in greatness and goodness and grace. Um, But Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, um, which, like I said, we're going to be studying this morning, comes in the middle of the application section of this book. Ever since the middle of chapter 10, the author has been explaining that his readers need to live faithful lives believing in the true gospel of Jesus. Uh, Chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, marks the shift from theoretical principles to application. Um, So he summarized in verses 19 to 22 of chapter 10 how everything, uh, sorry, about how Christ has saved us and brought us to Christ, how he fulfills all the Old Testament means of relating to God. And then in verses 23 to 25, he gives two applications. Firstly, in verse 23, he said this, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then he talks about how we need to do that as part of the church body, is his second application. Um, And so then for the rest of the book, he expands on each of those. And our passage, like I said, is part of the first application, how the uh, Hebrew Christians need endurance they need to have faith that lasts. Um, So with that in mind, let me read uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The book of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Uh, we're going to study these verses bit by bit under four points, um, and you've got them there in your outline. Uh, we're going to learn to consider our forebears, cast aside our weights, continue the long hard slog, and contemplate our Lord. Uh, so let's jump into the first bit of verse 1. <clears throat> Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Uh, this passage starts with a series of words that show us it really uh, isn't starting anything. Like I said, Hebrews flows really seamlessly. Um, and the words therefore and since um, point back to uh, the stuff that's gone before it, obviously. <clears throat> uh, what, became bef- what came before in chapter 11 is that glorious list of Old Testament heroes of the faith who had faith in God's promises and carried that faith their whole lives, no matter what it cost them. Uh, as much as I'd love to, I don't have time to go into the whole passage. Um, and I, but I encourage you to do that probably in your own time um, because of what I'm going to say about it. But um, as a summary, let's read uh, verses 1 and 2 and then from verse 33 onwards. <clears throat> and Hebrews 11 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Uh, verse, uh, verse 32, Um what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samson and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword and they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Uh, As I said, these men and women are the witnesses uh, that are referred to in chapter 12, verse 1. Those saints of old and those whose descriptions I didn't read out are the ones who the author refers to when he says, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. There's so many faithful believers who have gone before us. So many, says the author, it's as if they're a cloud of people. We have a similar saying in English. Uh, We might say it's a sea of people. Uh, What you refer to when you look out and there's so many people that you can't make them out. They're so numerous. They're everywhere. Uh, But what are they witnesses to? Well, the New Testament uses this word to refer to eyewitnesses uh, of something, so in a literal sense, uh, evangelists or martyrs as well. Uh, in, the, in the New Testament, though, this is the only instance it's used to describe Old Testament believers. Uh, but even still, they were, they were witnesses in, uh, in many of those senses. They were witnesses in the sense that they attest to the power of faith in God and in his trustworthiness. Uh, they were evangelists in some form or another, all of them. Uh, and while uh, not all of them actually died, <clears throat> uh, they could still be considered martyrs in that all of them gave up their lives 
uh, or a comfortable aspect of their lives in some form or another. But why bring them up here in verse 1? Thanks. Uh, Well, the verse tells us that being aware of their faith will help us endure. Why? Well, because we have the same faith. We are unified with the Old Testament saints in that we too have received God's promises and have been saved through Christ. In verse 40 of chapter 11, I just read out, it tells us that God planned that we would be saved in the same way and to the same hope that they were. It says God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Now the structure of the sentence in verse 1 tells us that this is all background to the commands to endure. Um, And that brings us to point two, cast aside our weights. Now let me read verse 1 again. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also cast aside every, uh, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. With the background of those witnesses from chapter 11, the author gives us the command to lay aside every weight. Now what does that command mean? Well, lay aside has the idea of actively, forcefully putting off something. Uh, it's a similar idea to what Paul commands in Hebrew, uh, sorry, in Ephesians and Colossians to put off the old self. <clears throat> uh, in, in other words, if we're going to have any hope of sticking with Christ, we cannot allow these things to have any place in our lives. And why is that? Uh, well, that's bound up in what we're to put off. <clears throat> The author of Hebrews tells us to put off every weight and sin which clings so closely. Because of its innate rebellion against God, all unchecked sin has the power power to tear away at our faith, eroding our confidence in God's grace and our own security. We must deal with sin in our lives quickly so that it won't take us from God. As John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And of course, while this is true of all sin, this is especially true of the sin that the author most commonly warns of in Hebrews. Uh, In the mind of the author, the sin that the Hebrews church is most in danger of currently is the sin of rejecting faith and turning away from Christ. Uh, Now, in saying all that, this opens up a can of worms because it implies, uh, because there's a lot of debate around Christians these days as to whether a person can choose to not be a Christian anymore or whether such a person was never a Christian in the first place. And I believe, and the elders here believe, that no true Christian can lose their salvation even by choice. But I don't want to go too deeply into that because that's not what the question that the author of Hebrews actually wants us to ask. Uh, He doesn't ask whether or not a person can be saved in sort of a theoretical sort of viewpoint. Instead, he asks pointedly and personally, are you going to cast aside your salvation? Uh, And then, uh, almost without waiting for an answer, he just says, just don't. Don't cast aside your salvation. Rather than casting aside your salvation, cast aside sin. Um, The term wait also talks about anything else that would distract us or tempt us away from Christ, uh, possibly a bit more broadly. Uh, In chapter 11, we read of Moses, uh, who refused the position of authority Uh, and notoriety that would go with his association with the royal family in Egypt. Uh, Also in chapter 11 we read of Abraham who was willing to sacrifice his own son because of his faith in God. Uh, Elsewhere in the Old Testament we read of uh, Esther and Nehemiah 
who both potentially gave up positions in the royal court uh, of Persia to help the Israelites. Uh, At the end of the day, if your wealth or your job or your friends or your notoriety or anything else is coming between you and God, it shouldn't be doing that. It shouldn't have a place in that place in your life. I mean, these are hard words, um, but they're appropriate given the power of idolatry. (coughs) Another weight which tempts us to, uh, which tempts us away from Christ is the pull of the world's counsel. Worldly wisdom says that we're foolish to follow Christ. Uh, Paul, even uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, took on a secular point of view um, to, to point that out. He said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have um, also perished. Uh, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. That's how the world sees us, fools, for enduring this life in hope of a better one at God's side. Um, And to counteract this, then, we must fill our lives with God's truth, fill our minds with God's truth. Someone tells us, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Uh, Likewise, the the final words of 2 Peter tell us, Uh, Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. When we fill our minds with the promises of God in the Bible, the true hope that he gives, it will push out the lies that the world tells us. Um, And so we, uh, as I said, we must remove from our lives anything that can take us from our Saviour. Um, And then point number three, we must continue the long, hard slog. Uh, Sticking with Christ requires us to think about the saints of old who demonstrated lives of faith and to remove anything that will remove us from him. And next, the author wrote that it simply requires us to keep going. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And this is a configurative command, of course. Running will not get us into heaven. Um, And so what is uh, this metaphor signifying? Well, it's talking about how we must continue to have faith in God throughout our Christian life. We must be loyal Christians, faithful until the end. Um, But there is an aspect to this that isn't conveyed uh, super well in our English Bibles. Because for us, uh, when we think about an endurance race, we automatically think of uh, either... One of two things, either we think about a race where we run laps around a a nice smooth running track uh, or a marathon uh, where we run along a series of streets or paths that have been cleared for, you know, for our convenience. Um, In 1 Corinthians 9, in fact, he, uh, Paul talks about running a race uh, and the Greek word suggests the first one, the running track. In 2 Timothy 4, Um, He uses a word which would convey something similar to the modern sort of marathon that I just described. But here in in Hebrews, uh, there's a different word for race. Um, And it's used actually five other times in the New Testament, but it's always uh, translated figuratively um, as a struggle or a conflict or a a fight. Um, So it's not talking about a smooth, clear running track in that sense. Uh, It's more like Jesus' words in Matthew 7, verse 14, where he said, The gate is narrow and the way is hard. 
Um, if, I, if I were to take an illustration from pop culture, um, the race is more like that of the, the amazing race, or the race, if you've seen the movie, at the end of Wreck-It Ralph. <clears throat> In both of those, there are seemingly endless obstacles, and basically every force imaginable is trying to prevent you from finishing the race. If you haven't seen Wreck-It Ralph, uh, near the end of the movie, one of the main protagonists is in a car race. Um, but to finish, you must not only drive a full lap, but also battle the main villain uh, and endless hordes of evil warbug-like creatures. Uh, and she must do this as a track, and in fact, the entire world crumbles around her. Uh, that's why all, this, all through this sermon, I've been using the phrase, a long, hard slog. The sort of race the author is talking about here is exactly that, a long, hard slog. Uh, That's why we need to run with endurance, the author says. Uh, Your translation might say endurance or perseverance or patience, um, but they all sort of say the similar idea. We just need to keep on going. We need to keep on keeping on. As best as possible, we need to keep pressing on faithfully in our faith in Jesus, even with the expectation that it may well never get easier to trust him with the anticipation that it, we may never have sorry that we may have to keep going for decades to come now having said all that i don't think i've really done much to sell christianity to anyone today <laughs> it all sounds bleak and difficult and hopeless uh, but there is hope in all this because verse 2 uh, there is hope if we lift our eyes and contemplate our savior Uh, Looking there in verse 2 again, we are to run with endurance looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, As I've said previously, the book of Hebrews talks at length about who Jesus is and why he's so great. And this verse is full of allusions to things that have come up previously in the book. Um, So I'm going to look at three aspects of who Christ is here in this verse. Um, And I'll do that a little bit by um, bringing up uh, some verses that have come previously in the book of Hebrews. Um, And as I do, um, I'll look at why each of these um, aspects is important to contemplate if we're going to continue in our faith. So the first uh, aspect of Christ is his centrality to our faith. He is essential to the biblical faith. And that's important because holding fast, uh, sorry, enduring as a Christian means holding fast to him. Uh, There in the verse we learn that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Uh, The ESV says our faith, but if you're reading the NIV or the NASB, you'll see that it just says of faith. I mean, I like that translation uh, because of how at the end of chapter 10, uh, he's talking about the faith of the New Testament believers then throughout chapter 11, he talks about the faith of the Old Testament believers. Um, And then his point is that they're all the same faith, that we're unified in that. Christ is the founder and perfecter of faith of all believers throughout all time. Well, well, what does that mean? Well, it's actually... um, uh, They have similar, I guess, ideas of, uh, of the way we would use those terms today. Um, founder is uh, pretty much exactly what it sounds like. The idea is a founder of a town or, or possibly a company in a modern um, illustration. Uh, because founding a town, of course, is not something we're very familiar with in this day and age. 
Um, but founding a business or a company isn't that rare anymore. Uh, generally speaking, in the end, the founder of a company is central to it. Uh, the founder may have invented the signature product, or they may have just been the first to do a certain thing, or even in a certain place. Um, but eventually, usually, they come out as the boss that everyone reports to. The entrepreneur usually ends up as the CEO. Um, founding a town, I guess, is kind of similar in that the founder of the town is not just the first to live there. Um, but usually they end out as the first to rule there as well, and they uh, often end up getting heaps of buildings and places and schools and rivers and bridges and all that named after them as well. And in the same way, Jesus is the founder of our faith. He is central to it, and he is the Lord over everyone who calls himself Christian. <clears throat> uh, likewise, perfecter simply means that Jesus completed the work. He saved us completely. And then these ideas, like I said, go together throughout the book of Hebrews. And they always point together to how Jesus is central and essential to the biblical faith. The opening verses of the book say this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. Now that theme then continues throughout the book of Hebrews. In chapter 3 he says, For Jesus has been counted more worthy than Moses... Uh, more worthy, worthy of more glory, sorry, than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. Christ is the builder, Moses is the house. <clears throat> uh, chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, And being made perfect, he, that's Jesus, became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest. Chapter 8, verse 6, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Over and over again, salvation has come about fully through Christ, and so he alone is our Lord. Uh, so the first reason we should look to Jesus if we are to persevere is that he is the essential center of the Christian faith. We should contemplate our Saviour because persevering in faith ultimately means continuing in Him. Now, secondly, we should look to Him uh, so that we will heed His example. Uh, back in verse 2 of chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews intentionally uses the same phrases to describe Jesus' death as He has used to describe the Christian walk in verse 1. Uh, he says, we are looking to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Uh, set before and endurance are both mentioned, uh, words that came up when we looked at that third point. Um, and that tells us that Jesus suffered like us and that he had to endure like us. The writer said in uh, chapter 4, verse 15, that Jesus has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. If Christ has been tempted like us, then we can look to him as an example. Jesus is the perfect example for us to follow. Uh, what a profound truth that Jesus suffered with us. Um, uh, Paul Grimmond writes in, uh, in his book, Suffering Well, 
He said, God created the world not only knowing people would sin and be condemned, not only knowing suffering and death would reign, but also knowing he himself would be involved in the suffering. He planned it, and he planned that his son would be a part of it. Unquote. Uh, what an amazing mystery that God has planned before the salvation, before the foundation of the world, not just that you would suffer as a Christian as if he were some horrible sadist, but that he himself would suffer along with you. So look to him, look to your Savior, the Savior who came down into the trenches with his people. He came down from heaven to endure the worst kinds of pain and disgrace the world has to offer as he hung, scourged and beaten, mocked and humiliated, dying for other people's crimes. Christ endured, and so can you, by his strength. Um, But you don't have to endure without hope or without help, um, because thirdly, your Savior is now on the throne. Here is the third reason we should contemplate our Saviour, so that we will hope in his exaltation. Uh, Jesus, uh, verse 2 says, uh, having endured the cross, is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, This is the fifth time this concept has come up in Hebrews. Uh, Out of the previous four, uh, twice it is referred to Christ's authority, honour and glory. Um, And as it quotes or alludes to Psalm 110, where God the Father says to God the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Uh, Twice it also refers to Christ having completed his work on the cross. Um, Like in chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, uh, he's he's contrasted with the um, priests, Old Testament priests who stand at their service. Uh, it says, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of, the, of God. <coughs> uh, in this passage, uh, the phrase implies both of those things, the completeness of Christ's work and his honour and rule. Uh, but since we've just talked about a bit about Christ's finished work, um, I'll now focus on uh, primarily on what Christ's exaltation means for us as we endure. <clears throat> uh, so first of all, it gives us hope that there is a prize for completing the race. Uh, we see this also when Jesus, when it says that Jesus endured for the joy set before him. Christ received a prize for enduring. He in, received a prize of rule. Um, and the Bible says that we will too. Um, To each of Revelation's seven letters to the churches, Jesus gives promises to the one who conquers or the one who overcomes. Uh, That's just another way of saying believers who persevere to the end. Uh, Let me read out a few of them. Uh, In Revelation 2 verse 7, Jesus says, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Uh, Verse 11 of chapter 2, To the one who conquers, uh, he will not be hurt by the second death. Uh, And I'll skip down to the final one in 321. Uh, Because of how it relates to this passage, Jesus says, The one who conquers, I I will grant to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. What a glorious promise that is. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Uh, That's quoting uh, 2 Timothy 2.12. And there's no clearer way of putting that. If we endure we will also reign with him. 
Uh, and that's the first implication. The second implication uh, is that if Jesus is seated at God's right hand, he has both the power and the authority to get us all the way into heaven. <clears throat> uh, not only is there the promise of glory if we continue to the end, there is the promise of power to continue to the end. Uh, don't doubt his willingness to use that power of authority um, because of his work on the cross. Uh, he's already committed his life to getting us to heaven. He will certainly commit the, pra- the fraction of his power that is needed to get us over the line. Uh, John Flavel, the reporter, wrote, uh, Did Christ finish his work in us? Then there can be no doubt, but he will complete his work in us. <clears throat> As the famous hymn says, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Uh, We should look to Christ because he is exalted to the Father's right hand, and that should give us confidence that he will both get us to heaven uh, and give us and glorify us when we get there. Uh, So in summary, we can faithfully continue the long hard slog of the Christian life by thinking on the lives of the saints of old, by removing from our lives anything that will prevent us from following Christ, by persevering through thick and thin, and by focusing on our Saviour, the centre of our faith, who endured death in our place and is now glorified in heaven where we will also join him. Uh, In closing now, let me draw out some implications and practical steps from all this. Uh, First of all, I want to address those of you who are here and uh, don't follow Jesus at this point. Uh, If you don't believe in Jesus as your Saviour and submit to him as your Lord, and you're not considering doing so, I encourage you to consider doing it. In the light of Christ's love, in light of the the love of Christ for you, in light of his rule and in light of the glories that await his followers, consider... I urge you seriously consider following him. Uh, that said, if, you, if on the other hand you don't believe in Jesus and you are considering it, um, I encourage you to consider carefully and not to make the decision lightly. <clears throat> uh, you've heard me describe today how hard the Christian life is and how much effort you will need to put into it. Uh, and in Luke 14, Jesus warned against following him without carefully considering the cost. Uh, let me read... Uh, part of that passage. Um, Luke 14, uh, verse 27, Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Uh, in the same way that it's foolish to lose a house, uh, to build a house without the money to finish it, and it's foolish to start a war without the men to win it. Uh, and in the same way that salt is useless after it's uh, lost its saltiness, um, it's foolish to decide to follow Jesus and turn back because you were, weren't able to see it through to the end. It's foolish to decide to follow Jesus um, without carefully considering what's that, what that's going to cost you. <clears throat> um, but consider also what I said about Jesus' hope for those who commit to him. Consider the cost of staying on your current path. Consider carefully your current, uh, both options, and I pray that you will choose Jesus. Um, now to those who do believe. <clears throat> uh, maybe that you're here and you're burdened by the pain of this world. Uh, it may be that you're feeling the pull of the world to chase earthly things rather than Jesus. It may be that you're here and you're jaded from years of enduring as a Christian. Uh, or on the other hand, you might be looking at the road, road to come and you're worried and disheartened by how long and how hard it's going to be. If that describes you, then I know how you feel. But more importantly, Christ knows how you feel. Uh, let me reiterate some of those points about Jesus' uh, example of endurance and the hope that is found in him. As I've already quoted part of, uh, Hebrews 4 verses 15 and 16 says, We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I encourage you, burdened brother, suffering sister, look to Christ, hope in his promises and heed his example and endure through him. Uh, some of you, on the other hand, might be finding their going relatively smooth. And sometimes it's not easy to be a Christian, but other times it actually really is. Uh, and of course, um, we all know that there's no promise that it will be easy, um, but sometimes God in his grace allows it to be. And to those um, who aren't tempted at this moment to abandon their faith uh, for something easier, God says this, please love those who are doing it tough. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says that the church of, as a whole endured a hard struggle with sufferings, but not everyone was experiencing pain. Uh, no, the, the writer of Hebrews writes that some individuals were, quote, publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and some were partners with those so treated. <clears throat> uh, you may not personally be exposed to reproach and affliction, but some of those around you probably are. Uh, if you're in that situation, Romans 12 gives some practical ways you can love your brothers and sisters who may be doing it tough. Uh, it says this, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Pray, says Paul, meet their needs, empathize and do it all humbly. Um, well, that's all I've got for you today. <clears throat> and I'm sure um, there's nothing new here to many of you. So let me, um, as in closing, just reread uh, from Hebrews chapter 10. I'll read verses 32 to 39 in full. Uh, it says this, Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, 
Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thanks so much that you care for us enough to put this passage in our Bibles. Thanks so much that you've brought faithful saints to yourself and that you've finished the work in their lives. Uh, Thanks also that you've prepared a great reward for us in heaven. And thanks that you've prepared the way for us to get there. And so God, I pray that you would grant us endurance. Uh, Let us have faith that stands firm to the end. I pray that we would not be distracted by sin or by anything else. Um, And I pray that we would learn from those who have gone before us. And finally, Lord, and most importantly, I pray that you would fix our eyes and our hearts on your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, so that we can persevere for his sake and and by his power. Amen.